This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others, and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hey friends, and welcome to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica Anderson. I'm a Christian freelance writer, mom of two littles, and I'm passionate about helping you live out your best and deepest faith in everyday life. On this podcast, you'll hear from inspiring women, moms, and ministry leaders, authors, and more. Those on mission for God with a message to inspire you in your Christian walk, wherever that may be. Each month, I send out interviews, tips, book reviews, and exclusive giveaways to my email list. If you'd like to receive these things, just head to my website, ericaanderson.com, and sign up. My new book, Reason to Return, Why Women Need the Church and the Church Needs Women, comes out this January, and I want you to be the first to know all the details. Enjoy the show. Hi. Hey, Sheila. How are you? Good. How are you? Thank you for taking the time to talk with me. This isn't a message that's resonating just with, you know, progressive Christians or people that are deconstructing, which obviously it does resonate with that audience. But like, I, I actually was somewhat surprised sometimes on Instagram where I would see people that I consider extremely theologically conservative, you know, liking your stuff, loving your stuff. And I was like, that's very interesting because, you know, from the world that we come from and the people that you are sort of calling out they don't like that. So, (laughs) and so I wanted to talk with you a little about that. Let me pull up my questions. Um, I have a simple reason for it. Oh, sure. Go ahead. Everybody wants orgasms. Like seriously. (laughs) No, and I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm being glib, but I'm absolutely serious. Like this is what I found on my blog is, you know, and I've been blogging about this stuff for years. Right. But my blog was one of the places where people from all different theological spectrums would come like even Catholic, like from Catholic to your like Mark Driscoll people to your like progressive Anglican is that they were all looking for healthy sex advice. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing is you can totally believe in a very complementarian view of marriage, but you still want good sex. Right. And yeah. he still wants her to want sex and have good sex on the whole, unless he's Emerson Eggridge, like unless he's as totally, and I don't mean that flippantly either. Like I'm quite serious unless he's totally, buys into the idea that sex is only for men, which very few men do. Like very few men honestly think sex is only for men. And so I'll get these super conservative guys who are on my blog and they're there just because they really want to figure out the sex piece for their wives. Okay. So how did Emerson Egricks get so popular and why is he still so popular? Cause I, at first, like, I didn't realize that he actually is still doing marriage conferences and I actually heard his daughter on a podcast and I was like, Whoa, she's, I don't know if she's talking about that subject, but I was just like, Oh, that's, that's his daughter. Um, yeah. And so what do you think is like the staying power of him? Well, he really, um, he, he and James Dobson were um, were sort of like two peas in a pod, and it was James Dobson, according to Kristen Dumay, and I haven't looked this up, but this is this is in her book Jesus and John Wayne. It was actually James Dobson who started the whole thing about um, women need love and men need respect, and then mm-hmm. Emerson Eggers started doing conferences on that, and then Focus on the Family partnered with him to write the book. Oh, so it's the Focus on the Family gave it the real heft, right? And so they launched it. And 
it just became this mammoth thing. I think because people want a formula to launch onto mm-hmm. and it seemed like a really good formula. Um, the only problem is, and if you do write, like, I would love it if you could include this part, but like yeah. the, the study that he bases his claim on was done by Shanti Felden for her book for women only. Um, and they never asked women. They only <laughs> asked men, would you rather be alone and unloved or inadequate and disrespected? Which is an invalid question to begin with. It's a problematic one. It's not necessarily invalid, but it's a very problematic one. Sorry, right. I'm just like a metrics geek. And yes. so I'm I'm the yes, invalid. invalid has it. It, it has low face validity because of the double barrel response set. That's what it you yeah. say. But yeah, how yeah. you ask it and the words that you use make all the difference in the kind of response. Yeah, well, like, it's like, are they responding to disrespected or are they responding to inadequate? Right. Right. Like, because I know when my husband, thing. when I gave him that question, he said to me, there are four things. There's alone, unloved, disrespected, and inadequate. Only one of them is about you as a person. And inadequate is that one. He's like, if I were answering, I'd be responding to inadequate. I'd rather be a crotchety hermit artist in the middle of nowhere that everyone thinks is a little bizarre, but be good at what I do than mm-hmm. just be, you know, someone who just, you Feels know, inadequate. is totally inadequate. Yeah, yeah, so not even responding to the disrespect part. So so the problem yeah. was that like, you know, upwards a little over 70% of guys chose alone and unloved and they took that to mean that men need respect. That that is what it is based on. They never asked women. And when other researchers have asked women the same question, women answer in virtually the same numbers that they would rather be alone and unloved. Mm. Yeah. So and the, the more higher, that a woman yeah. is educated, the more likely it is that she will choose alone and unloved. Yes. Then disrespected. So in essence, uh, what some researchers have posited is that this groundbreaking God designed thing that Emerson Egrich proposed in his book was actually just the result of women being told forever that you don't deserve respect, even if it was true, because the minute a woman is educated, they have the same rates as men. But yeah. if they're uneducated, they're still majority are still choosing. They yeah, prefer respect over love. Lower. It was four percent lower. It still wasn't very much lower, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was. Um. Uh. If you're educated, it was the same. And if they were uneducated, I think it was depending on. I mean, it's hard because the, the power yeah. is different based on different things. But it was. It was within eight percent, I believe. Yeah. Um. So before, when did that book come out? Was that in like the early 80s? Oh wow. It was- 2004. Wow. Thought it was love and and respect and for women only were published at the same time and they relied on each other. Okay. So prior to that, uh, was, was there a shift when that happened or or prior to that, was it a different kind of mindset? In terms of sex advice and in terms of, yeah, in terms of like, sort of like the, the church at large Christian leadership and how they were speaking to married couples about it. Um, so the 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 big sex books started to come out in the 70s. I, I wrote an article about this, about the, the significance of the act of marriage by Tim LaHaye. Because um, it was largely a reaction to the sexual revolution that was happening in the wider society um, and the devaluation of family. And so, you know, there was this idea like free love and don't, you know, feel fulfilled and have great sex. And so what Tim LaHaye tried to do in the act of marriage is say, yes, you need to have great sex, but that can only happen in a marriage 
which is extremely leave it to beaver. So he very much espoused like women staying at home, men being the breadwinner. You won't have good sex if she's trying to usurp any kind of authority or becoming domineering. Um, she needs to be totally submissive. So it's like, it's like this great sex was paired with this particular view of marriage and intended for pleasure, which came out shortly thereafter, did the same thing. So you had these really big sex books, which were really largely the only sex books, um, for a little over a decade or two, um, Mm -hmm that we're encouraging couples to have good sex and we're very explicit, like how, how the women's sex response cycle works and everything, but they still framed it in terms of a very hierarchical marriage. Yeah. So um, let me just make a note really quick. So that's like just sort of another, almost like another formulaic approach. Um, mm-hmm. um, so that's just like, and, and when it comes to sex, I mean, it's like, it everyone is so different and so it's almost like you can't have those formulas i i read the book um called come as you are yeah by, yeah, yeah emily nagoski yeah yeah Great and book. that was like so eye-opening to me because you know i told you this when we talked to my podcast that you know this has been a huge struggle for me so i have a personal interest in it um but reading that book was really amazing because i was like oh my gosh like i'm not like weird, like I'm actually not a weirdo. Like I'm, I'm, there's so many people like me and like, it's normal. And it was very refreshing. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of things that played into that, but okay. So we know, I mean, I know that people are not happy with you, obviously, um, with some of the stuff, you know, calling people out, you know, you're, you're very, um, very pointed Instagram posts and things like that. Um, and I think that you told me that, you know, a lot of people kind of have just like stepped away have you been able to like to have any conversations or mend any of those relationships or maybe pull anyone over to kind of see oh okay like well I see what you're saying I see what you're doing not with any power brokers Mm -hmm. um certainly with a lot of um individual pastors Mm -hmm. like um, with a lot of people teaching at counseling schools okay that's Um, We've been, we're, we're, I know we're heavily used in counseling schools now and, and counseling profs. I've I've spoken at, um, like I, I, I zoomed into Sean McDowell's class at Baylor. Um, I zoomed into Anthony Bradley's at King's college. Um, so I've zoomed into some, some university classes and, uh, I, I know some profs are, are using me and I've even changed curriculum because of it. Um, but in terms of people that we've called out, there's been a lot of things done behind the scenes. Like I know that that people have been, um, I don't know how much I can say, but <laughs> there's there's been, you know, attempts to make sure that we're not invited to conferences or mm-hmm. if we're on a big podcast, then those podcasts are targeted afterwards by some of these individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, but but really nothing's been done publicly like they won't say anything publicly so that's that's really interesting what you say that it's not any power brokers but it's these smaller entities um Mm -hmm. which really ultimately i mean it's like a grassroots thing um you know your message is spreading not because whoever talks about you and Mm -hmm. whoever that would be um but because it's like people are so resonating with it um just as individuals and and i can see you know you have done so much work to 
to get it out there. And like, I, you know, I loved seeing your book launch last year. Cause I, you know, as someone who is uh, written a book and I have another book coming out, like, it's so fun to see what people do for launches. And I was like, man, she's like, just going mm-hmm. hardcore with this. It's like so good. Um, so it obviously worked. Um, now, um, let's see here what my question will be. So in terms of the larger, um, message from those folks that, that we were just talking about, um, do you see, do you see a shift, like a real shift happening, um, away from that messaging? No, you don't. What we're seeing is that they're getting sneakier. They're not changing what they're saying. They're just adding more caveats and then promoting the exact same message as they were before. Interesting. Do you have any examples you think of? Um, you know, it's Emerson Eggridge, for instance, when we started talking about this, he put out a post where he said that he never said sex was only for men. He always talked about mutuality. And like he said, he never said all of these things. And it's like, we have quotes from your book, which says that you, the exact opposite, like, um, so I always said sex is for women too. the book. If your husband's typical, he has a need you don't have. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like, Mm. um, it's just really, it's, I find those things really funny. Um, so they're, they're more aware of what you're saying. I mean, I feel like you're the, the main person out there really making them yeah. have to well, do it's funny. I think the problem is that people are seeing moms, like the success of my mom's website and our book, and they're seeing how much people are gravitating towards it. And it's challenging everything that they do. Um, because just like what we were saying earlier is no matter what your belief system is, you still like men want their wives to like sex and women want to like sex. But, you know, these guys want the success and the platform and the praise and the followers, and they want to be known as the experts, but they aren't willing to actually follow the evidence. They're only willing to use the evidence that helps them. And that's why we can't be named. That's why we can't go to conferences, because Mm -hmm. if you actually accept the full evidence of our study of 20,000 women, which is what people are so excited about. Mm-hmm. You have to accept that these guys are all making the problem worse, not better. And, and that I, hurts their bottom line of popularity. Yeah. And, and I think nowadays, and, and you can tell me if this resonates, um, there's such a, I feel like there's, there's become such a line between like, between like progressives, progressive Christians and conservative Christians. Like, mm-hmm. and I think are people, I do people kind of label you in one camp or the other. Oh yes. Depending on which camp they're in, they like yeah. yeah. the other. Right, exactly. Progressives think we're too evangelical, <laughs> and evangelicals think we're too progressive. So, which I figure we're probably good then. Like, yeah, <laughs> right. So, do you? But I mean, you guys are still saying, "Hey, we still believe in you know the traditional values of marriage, like within or sorry, about sex within marriage." Like, you're still saying that is what God wants. Yeah, we still we still we still subscribe to biblical sexual ethic, um, you know what we would call a biblical sexual ethic, and uh, you know obviously there's some like what people think that means um, is up for debate because you know you can get into huge debates of well what was marriage back then and you know, yeah. like if you're engaged back then you really were married so it's like like um, uh, but. Yes, we definitely think that God designed sex, you know, for a committed lifetime relationship. 
and that's important. Um, um, yeah, and everything that we write is with the assumption that, like, the sex advice is for married couples. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, that like sense. that's that's Absolutely. really what we write. And so, uh, although you know, although we're trying I'm, desperately to get couples before they're married, because we <laughs> because really are. Yeah. Well, you want to learn this say. stuff. Well, and yeah. the, because what we found is that the way that evangelicals do the honeymoon sets so people hard. up for so much heartache mm, and, you know, and, and, and even our increased rates of vaginismus, if you wait for marriage, then if you don't, if you only have, so if you only have sex with one person your whole life, so, but you, but you have sex before you're married versus after you're married, you do better if you have sex first mm. in terms of lower vaginismus rates and things like that. And so it's like, why is that? Because we're doing the honeymoon wrong. <laughs> so we need to have a way of yeah. really, really important conversation yes. about that. Yeah, so if you're a Christian couple who has sex with only one person and it's before you're married, it's probably because you were engaged and you were super, super turned on and you had sex. Yeah. Right? Versus having sex for someone on your honeymoon Mm -hmm. or on the wedding night. It's not because you're turned on. It's because it's time. Yeah, because you're supposed to. And so what we're trying to get people to say is like, it's not wait until you're married. If you're going to wait for until you're married, it's wait until you're married and she's around. Yeah, you know, I love that's such a good point because how many Mm -hmm. people have had these awful experiences of their honeymoon night and feeling Mm -hmm. forced into it almost like just, yeah, this awful yeah experience that is oh that's yeah. such a great point have you guys written an article about that <laughs> um yeah uh, have, there's, a pod, there's a podcast about it there's an article it's it's a lot of what um in in our newer books in my newer books the good girl's guide to great sex that i rewrote that's probably something important to mention and the good guy's guide to great sex we talk a lot about that in our in our chapter yeah. on the um, Talking about rewriting what, really quickly, just about the overall point of why do both progressives and conservatives find you interesting? Mm-hmm. Is I think that one of the things that's so different is right now things are so incredibly polarized, right? So you have your highly progressive, you highly conservative, and they hate each other, right? Yeah. Like it's just mm-hmm. horrendous. And one of the problems is that no one can admit that they're wrong because it sees it as seeding, seeding, um, uh, a border to the other side in a war, right? Like you're ceding territory if you admit that you're wrong. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that makes um, my mom in particular just be so popular among both groups is she's openly admitted multiple times. Like, this is what I used to say. And this is what I say now. Here's why. Mm. And so I think both sides, it's like, it doesn't really matter. Like, if Russian. you're a progressive and you're seeing my mom, it's like, okay, but she's su- she, you might see her as super conservative, but it's okay because as soon as she has evidence, she changes and vice versa. If you're a conservative, you're like, ah, she's incredibly progressive, but look, she does this. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause again, no one actually. Yeah. We need more. Like, we need more people but, like that. Yeah, but so, I think that's a lot of the thing yeah. is that we, we kind of can bridge the um, automatic uh, polarization gap by simply saying, we don't have all the answers, but here's the ones that the evidence states. It's mm-hmm. not my theological opinion in the same way. Right. It's here's what 20, like, Hey, we can believe this all you want, but we're just saying 27% less chance of orgasm. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's taking it outside yeah. of the theological and the, um, like the, 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 the religio political realm. Oh yeah. Religio political. That's a, I like that's, that term. <laughs> that's, I would just say sociopolitical, but it's more, it's religion. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like out of that, that realm of the dichotomy of, are you on my side or are you not? And it's like, I don't care what side you are. Here's the data. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Exactly. About, and I say that about a lot of things, <laughs> actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you say to those who I've seen people sort of criticize 
your approach. They're like, oh, it's too harsh. It's too out there. Like, um, you know, she should be talking to these people privately. What is your response to that? I did. You did that first. Only to the people that I knew personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but two of the people I did know personally. And um, it didn't go well. Mm-hmm. But if you, okay, the, the Matthew 18 passage, which is often used to say that we should go privately. Um, in a church called Tove, Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger do a really good job of showing why that passage does not apply in cases like mine. Mm-hmm. Um, because that was about personal offenses. So when someone has hurt you, nobody hurt me. I'm not the victim, right? Like all of the women (laughs) who have been reading these things and and internalizing the toxic teachings and having that hurt their marriage, they're the ones who are the victim. And they're the ones who need to be protecting. And in many cases, I mean, I've got emails from from people, people who sent me screenshots and forwarded me emails where they went to the authors and the authors blew them off. Mm. And so people have already gone to the authors. And what are you supposed to do when the authors don't listen? You bring it to the elders, you bring it to the church. And the New Testament model is always that false teaching must be called out in public. Because if it's false teaching, it's already done harm in public. And so if I were to go to an author and they were to they were to admit I was right, but people didn't see it, then people are still being hurt. Mm-hmm. And so the only way to stop the hurt is to do this in public. And if those authors were truly committed to serving the sheep, they would welcome it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, like uh, I, I, I put out a podcast, I don't know, a year and a half ago, maybe, where I told a story and I told it wrong and I said something really stupid. And I didn't think it was that stupid, but I got so roundly called out that I just deleted the whole podcast within three hours because I realized, you know what? I made a mistake. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman? serve in the workplace? Or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, Bow offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. And so I told everybody, I put up on social media, hey, here's what I did. It was a mistake. I'm sorry. I took it down. Thank you for teaching me. I'm not going to do that again. You know, and it totally was not a big deal. It's just, it's not a big deal. Nobody got mad at me for it. If anything, I got praise. Like I got credibility. Mm-hmm. Um, so if people 
were truly interested in caring for the sheep, then they would care about the fact that we have now shown that things that they teach do harm. Um, and I know that's not easy to hear because I've realized things that I taught did harm. And that's why I'm trying really hard to teach the opposite and to fix it. Mm -hmm. And if I find out tomorrow in another survey that something else that I've taught did harm, I will also apologize and I will start teaching differently. Um, I, I just think that our focus is in the wrong place because we think that the teachers are the victims. And Shanti Felden did actually write a public statement, um, which I can, I'll send you mine because mm -hmm. I referenced hers in mine. But she portrayed her and the authors as the victim. And they said that I did, wasn't going about this in a kingdom way. Um, but you're not the victim when you have harmed all of these people. Yeah, that's a great point. What um and by the way, that does not mean that I don't feel sympathy for them. Yeah. Oh gosh, no. I think yeah. I think that must be terrible to learn that, you know, you've written all of these books and a lot of them are largely responsible. Like people tell me when when we asked in our focus groups, where did you hear the message that all men struggle with lust? Overwhelmingly, they said for women only by Shanti Felton. Um <laughs> and that that book really haunted them. The number of marital rape victims who talked about Shanti Felton's books and oh, who talked man. about Emerson Egrich's book and who talked about Every Man's Battle. The number of people who yeah. we talked to came out of these horrific situations where their husbands were addicted to uh, addicted to porn to the extent that they were like forcing them to act out what they'd watch. And they would have Shanti and Egrich and Arter Burns' words in their head saying, but if he, if, if I can meet his needs, then maybe he'll be able to stop. Yeah. I mean, and I had, then, like, yeah, it's I had, just, I had an Instagram message even just yesterday from a woman who she's separated from her husband now because he has sex addiction issues. And she was suggesting that he read the great sex rescue. And he said, um, I might take a look at it, but first, can you read for women only? Because I read it and I wept because for the first time I felt heard, you need to see what she says about a visual Rolodex. No. Yeah. So, you know, when, when sex addicts are saying, are telling their wives, please read this book because it will, you know, I feel heard. That's a problem when they're trying to, yeah. and he was trying to justify himself. It's not like he's a sex addict who is like, this is a, this is a toxic situation. Yeah. yeah. When abusive sex addicted, addicted men mm -hmm. think oh, Shanti's book will finally get my wife to do what I want. Right. That's a problem. Well, it's like it's like the 21 convention. Have you heard of that? It's that no. total disgusting patriarchal convention that happens no. in Florida in September every year. Um, like like the Doug Wilson wannabes are are talking at it. It's not only Christian, but there's a lot of Christian patriarchal. It's really toxic. The 21 mm -hmm. convention. Anyway, a few years ago, there was a man who gave a talk on how if you want your wife to enter into a dominant submissive BDSM relationship and she's religious and she doesn't want to, a good way to get her there is to read love and respect. That's so awful. So, you know, they consider love and respect a gateway into an abusive BDSM relationship. That's crazy. That is so crazy. The stuff that you find, uh, you know, you find the best little tidbits. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you find those perfect yeah little even from like a radio show or like i've seen you do some ones from john piper 
um, that were kind of like not little bits that ne- necessarily w- would have been seen by the world otherwise. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, okay, let me ask you this. And then I, I don't, don't want to keep you guys too long. But um, in terms of thinking about uh, the people that have left church and and sort of blame some of this stuff, what is your like response to that? Do you think do you think people are mistaken in leaving the church for having grown up with this kind of stuff being pushed down their throats? I think that using words like mistake or make the wrong choice is actually harsher than how Jesus talks about these people. And I, I, when I, when I say this, I really think about the, the parable of the sower and the seeds. Jesus doesn't blame the seeds for getting eaten by birds or getting choked out by, by thistles. It's a tragedy it's not a, mm, I should have picked better soil. It's like, a, it's, it's this, this understanding of this is a tragedy and they should have had better. Right. It's not their fault that they didn't have better. Yeah. Um, this is why teachers are held to such a high standard in scripture. And, uh, and the fact that teachers being held to an egregiously low standard in evangelicalism, to me, it just rings of you know, the verse, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The evangelical church is reaping what they have sown. They have sown, and this is going to sound harsh, but in their teachings, they have sown marital, you know, rape in many cases. They have sown um, male entitlements. They have sown abuse. They have sown belittlements. They have sown spiritual bypassing or true suffering. And what's the natural consequence of that? People are going to leave. There's this major shift that's happening where people are like so in love with Jesus that they can't put up with the fake idea of Christ that they were given. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's necessarily a mistake for them to leave. I think it might be a natural and uh, almost inevitable consequence of the, I mean, occupational negligence of the pastors and the groups like focus on the family who had every chance to look at the research, every chance to do the right thing, every chance to listen to the woman in their office crying about how their husband is forcing her to perform sex acts that are degrading. And his only response is, well, it's technically not, not allowed in the Bible. We heard that from so many women. Like this is the natural consequence of what's happening, you know? Mm -hmm. And and I think that Jesus Mm -hmm. has a lot of sympathy um, for these people. And I think that instead of telling them, you should have tried harder to stay, I think we need to start talking to the churches and say, what's wrong with you that you made them leave? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, one of the, things that I love the most is I get so many messages from women saying you've restored my faith in Jesus. Yes. Interesting. And I get a lot of those. You'll even see them in the reviews (laughs) on Amazon. You'll see them. Like I had walked away from the church because I thought everybody was misogynist, but I finally feel like Jesus sees me now. Um, and the heat, like so many people tell us, like our real work is just in healing their view of God. No, because what's so, what, what, what women have told us is that they felt like God was sexually assaulting them too. Oh. Because, and this is really when the root of, of the danger and the obligation sex message, right? Is that 
The obligation sex message says he can use you. He has the right to use you no matter how you feel, which is um, a traumatic message, which is why um, the rates of vaginismus increase to the same statistical, almost the same statistical effect as if you had been abused because our bodies interpret the obligation sex message as trauma. But what makes it worse is that they feel like God is the one telling them to do that. God is the one telling me I have to let my husband rape me, essentially, because I don't want to do this and I am required to or else I'm being disobedient to God. So basically, it's God who is saying, I don't have like it turns God into a pimp. There was a woman um, who who called into Emerson Egrich's uh, or who wrote into Emerson Egrich's um, podcast a couple of years ago who talked about how she would cry in the shower before sex. And it was horrific. It was obvious from her question that they read that she was being abused and that that this was a, a situation of marital rape. And he praised her. He said, what a great wife she was being. And that woman heard our podcast when we talked about it. And she called me and she was on our podcast mm. talking about how she's now free. She's divorced. She's free from the abuse. Um, and talking about how Emerson Egrich made her feel. But the fact that he didn't even recognize what was so blatantly a story of marital rape. And instead praised her for being obedient to God. Yeah. And that's the problem is that is that we've created a situation where it's not just that that men are abusing women, it's that that women feel like men are doing it with God's favor. Mm-hmm. Um, however, that's not the main group that's being hurt. Okay. So there, no. there, there's definitely women who are being the, the main group who's being hurt are just the huge numbers of women who are not having very good sex, whose libido has tanked. <laughs> You know, who's who can't get excited, whose husbands don't seem to understand foreplay. And and that's the group, you know, so the abuse is the worst, obviously. But there's still but I don't want people to think this is only an abuse issue because it's right. not. It's also right. it's it's you know the 47 point orgasm gap, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's huge. Yeah, I've I've always said, um, you know, I'm kind of glad I didn't marry a guy who grew up in this culture. My husband is a Christian now, but he wasn't mm-hmm. until he was way older. And so he doesn't have any of this. Like all this stuff is so, is very foreign to him. And so I'm actually so thankful for that. And I'm thankful for that because he has a much healthier understanding and is going to be better as for our kids and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So just to to finish up, is there anything else that you could say or that you would want to say or that speaks to the, um, just the idea of how many of these theologically conservative women are drawn to, or is there anything else that comes to mind on that? Yeah. Um, well, I think the big, the big issue and the big point that we're trying to make and the way that we want to reframe this whole thing is that we believe Jesus meant it when he said that you will recognize them by their fruit, that a good tree can't bear bad fruit and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. And, and he was saying that in context of, of trying to figure out false teaching. If you look at the context in Matthew 7, And that's all we're doing is, you know, for years, people have been fighting about what's the right interpretation of this verse. And let's look at the Greek and let's look at, you know, the context. And that's all very important to do. And I don't mean to belittle that. That's a very important thing. What we're trying to do is take it out of that academic realm or the, the theological argument and just say, what is the fruit? (laughs) Because that's what nobody's asked before. And so we just wanted to ask, what is the fruit? And um, when we looked at the fruit of these teachings, we found that it was universally bad. 
And there were six, there, there's four big teachings that we deal with in the great sex rescue. There's six big ones that we found were harmful. Some of them we didn't look at because they just didn't relate to what we were looking at. But um, if you want to include it just for interest sake, the, the, the other two that, that were quite harmful was, um, I don't know how we phrased the soul ties one. Um, uh, yeah, it, but the idea that if you have sex with someone, you will create a soul tie and your your mm-hmm. s- your spirit is bonded to them forever oh. or something like that. They all yeah, have I know that. Forever. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah, there's a specific you know, what, you know exactly what it is, right? Yeah. I don't know exactly what it yeah. was, but it was something like that. Yeah, and then the other one um, was that the only acceptable reason for divorce was, was um, adultery, so not for mm-hmm. abuse. So if you believe that, that was harmful, but we were really looking at the four main ones in great sex rescue, the obligation sex message, have sex. So he won't watch porn. Every, you know, all men struggle with lust is every man's battle and girls, um, uh, boys will push your, your sexual boundaries. And so girls should be the gatekeeper. So those were the four ones that we looked at that were, that were really harmful. And I want, I want to say this too, if I can, if I can just defend myself because, um, Shanti Felton especially, but others have also critiqued our survey saying, well, they just found 20,000 women from her blog who agreed with her. And that's really laughable in so many ways because it shows they don't understand how research works. But let, first of all, less than half of the people were from my blog. Okay, so we had multiple people getting um, uh, survey respondents for us. But also the way that we did our survey, it wasn't frequency, it was odds ratios. So frequency is one thing. But what we were doing was we had to measure people who agreed with something and people who didn't agree with something and then see how that affected their marital and sexual satisfaction. So if we had people who all believed the same thing, we couldn't have done what we did. (laughs) So I don't think they really understand how research works. Yeah. Um, or else or else they're just trying to say enough smart sounding things that people will start to doubt it because our research is quite frankly devastating to what they have to say. It's very yeah. convenient to have yeah. problems with our methodology when um you know the implications are that they need to stop promoting those books. And we also are we we are um moving towards we we wanted to have some pieces in peer review by now. We didn't because we embarked on a great sex rescue 2.0 that we weren't expecting to do. So we, we have another book coming out this spring, which was a huge, it was just as big as great sex rescue. So, so we got behind a little bit. So it's part two. It's, it's called, she deserves better. Um, It's, it's for, it's for looking at the teachings that your daughter is getting in church and, and how to handle that with your. Okay. I will be getting a copy for sure. (laughs) So, so we surveyed people about their youth group experiences, women about their youth group experiences. So I actually think the findings for that are more devastating. Oh my gosh. Youth group. I mean, that's me. I mean, you're hitting on my whole life here. (laughs) I was a Brio. I I was obsessed with Brio. Brio, I I got a subscription to Brio too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, we, we presented at the American physiotherapy convention in February on our findings about vaginismus. Um, we've been reviewed in the, what, what's it called? The women's, um, health and physical. Looking at me as if I'm more likely to know when I have two kids, two and under. Physiotherapy health or journal, journal or something. Uh, we can our, get you the actual name. We do. Yeah, our data <laughs> set, our data set is up at the ARDA at Purdue university. So it's, you know, um, and then we're working on two different papers, one with Andrew Whitehead and like, and one with um, the University of Arkansas of Southern Arkansas on vaginismus. So, so we are actually trying to get in the, like we're, we're, we're 
we're getting very good um, acceptance from the academic community. It's a lot of, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so much work to do all of those things. So I totally Mm -hmm. get that. Um, Can you share any, I mean, you don't have to share actual numbers, but like any data or information about how the book has been selling or, you know, how it's gone over time? Um. I think it's done. It, it certainly was the best-selling Christian textbook last year. Yeah, um, and it it was really strong. There was a point that when the Kindle version was on sale, we actually get a, got up to number nineteen on Kindle once. Like we were higher than everything but one Harry Potter book. <laughs> like <laughs> all the other Harry Potter books were interesting. So that was exciting. Um, so yeah, like it has it has been doing quite well. And how about your personal following, like your social media and email and that's really website traffic too. and all that. Yeah, that's really increased as well. Um, but not like, only that, not only has it increased, we've also gotten so much more engagement. Like mm-hmm. uh, it's it's mm-hmm. increased, yes, but more than that, the people who are coming are really excited about this. Like they're talking yeah. about it, they're sharing it more, they're commenting yeah. more. It's we're not getting ghost follows anymore. Which you know, when you're running social media, you always get people who like it and then they never check in again. That mm-hmm. doesn't really seem to be happening very much. Yeah, um, compared to how it was like uh, the number of I remember I used to run the Facebook uh, years before we started the, the Great Sex Rescue. And like we're our our base of how much interaction we got on a post now is exponentially more than it was back in 2017, even though we had a really big following in 2017 too. Like our, like people are excited about the message. It's not just that it's getting out there. It's that people are in, are engaging with it. Mm -hmm. And that's why this is so scary because just like what you're saying, people on both sides are engaging with this, are sharing it. And people just don't know what to do with us because there's a reckoning coming because women are not willing to be seen as second rate anymore. And especially not in the bedroom. Do you get many um, negative messages? (laughs) Yeah. um, Not as many as you would think. I do. We do get some, we get more comments like public comments. They very rarely send me private stuff. Um, We get the ignorant um, public ones. Yes. Um, they're almost always men, not always, but almost like the really, really gross ones are almost always men. Um, you know, I'm called a Jezebel at least once a week, like all of the normal stuff. <laughs> I think, I think what people, what, what, um, male authors may not realize is how, uh, misogynistic the negative stuff is because mm-hmm. I just get people quoting Bible verses. Like they'll, they'll just simply yeah. quote, they'll say first Timothy two twelve and call me a Jezebel. Um, you know, you need to be silent. And, um, and, and, and often I'll get, you know, and you, I certainly do get the, the disgusting ones too, um, that are really sexual in nature. Um, and I don't think the male authors realize what females go through. Yeah. And, and that's yeah probably that. true of just females generally on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, even I like small platform that I have, like we'll get like things on TikTok that are like, um, you know, oh, you're a woman, like you're trying to tell people like the first yeah. or second in the two twelve. like I get that stuff too. And it's like, I'm not, what? I'm just talking on TikTok. I'm not even on a stage. <laughs> so... Um, Well, you guys, thank you so much for giving me all this time. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife. 
especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.